if, if nature had an incentive, it can also be aligned in Web3 in a sense. It's a, it's a, it's a system that can really embrace a multitude of, of parties and create a win-win scenario because of this transparent system, because of um, the way that decentralization can function, you know, and, and all these kind of things. So yeah, I, I'm, that's something that definitely draws me into blockchain. Welcome to the New Wave Entrepreneur, where we dive headfirst into Web 3.0, personal sovereignty, spirituality, and psychology. These conversations are unfiltered access to brilliant minds and actionable advice that will prepare you for the rapidly changing world. So, jump in. The water is warm and the tide is rising. Ah, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the New Wave Entrepreneur. Daniel DiPiazza checking in with you here. So happy to have you. And today we have a very special episode with the founders of the Crypto Coral Tribe. And now what's so interesting about this episode is that we're actually speaking to founders who are using Web3 for a cause. Uh, we've talked uh, to several people on the show so far who are using Web3 in different areas of specialization. You might be into DeFi, you might be into NFTs, you might be into just day trading tokens, you might be into DAOs. These are all different areas, smart contracts. These are all different areas of Web3. And what is great about new decentralized technology is that you can use it for causes that you care about, not just making money for yourself, but also creating creating resources for communities or projects that you think are really important. And this episode goes into how we can use decentralized technology to contribute to reforestation, to helping the, the environment heal from the damage that humans are inevitably going to continue putting on it, and also other projects as well. And the cool thing about Web3 is that we can align our incentives. The person who is contributing capital can align their incentives with someone who's receiving that capital or those assets. And by ownership, we can all create more through the technology, more money, more access to resources. It's actually pretty cool what's happening in Web3. So I encourage you to check out this episode and put on your thinking cap because there's a new way of, uh, you should, or you say a new wave of, of contributing to the projects that you care about in the world. So check this out with the Crypto Coral Tribe. And as we do that today, make sure that you are subscribed on whatever platform you're listening to this on, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, uh, we're even on Audible now. Make sure you subscribe so you get all the updates when we drop these new episodes. And of course, make sure you've checked out the newwaveentrepreneur.com. That's where we're hosting the archives of everything that we do on the show and in the community. We're hosting workshops on a regular basis. I have free giveaways on newwaveentrepreneur.com. Like for instance, by surfing the New Wave Guide, which is all about... Uh, crypto web three technology we have my high performance checklist which is getting your mind and your body right to conquer the day and a whole bunch more uh, in addition to uh, lots of other things on the new wave entrepreneur and how we're building the community out on a regular basis at this point now we're doing episodes every single day uh, it's pretty cool what we've been able to accomplish in a short period of time thank you to all the listeners thank you for all the emails i've been getting all the comments on the dms it's much love so let's jump into today's episode on the new wave entrepreneur and i'll catch you on the flip side Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of The New Wave Entrepreneur. This is Daniel checking in with you here. And um, I'm really excited because, you know, this show is kind of, a, it's becoming like, um, 
a nice mashup of all different topics. And of course, one of those topics is the advent of the new technology behind Web3. You know, we've talked about what Web1 was and how it, transi- how it transitioned to Web2 and how really we're kind of in this, this middle stage right now. We're in Web2 and a half right now on the way to Web3. And we've talked in the past in the podcast about how these changes are creating new opportunities for us to make money, for us to change the way that we work and live. Some of the potential advantages of blockchain tech. I mean, even just uh, earlier this week, we were on the uh, the podcast with uh, Kim Kirkwood, who was giving us really some deep insight on what's happening in the, in the corporate space around crypto. And to balance that out and actually to add some contrast, uh, we brought on an, a new guest today, and it's actually two new friends. Uh, they're part of the Crypto Coral Tribe, um, Jimmy and Christian. And the idea behind their project is pretty unique and it's interesting because what they've been able to do is they've been able to figure out how to uh, create a, a digital asset, an NFT, that also incentivizes people to do the right thing and creates value at the same time. And I think this is one of the unique uh, the unique value points of Web3 technology. So I'll let you guys take it from here because I want to hear a little bit about your story, how this uh, how this idea came to fruition. But I wanted to give that context because this is only possible in Web3. Yeah, I'm Christian. I'm one of the co-founders on this project. And um, essentially what we're, what we're working towards is building a system that enables NFT holders, people who come into our project, come into our community and, and buy our asset, gives them a power and a say and an input in towards how a change is made um, for our planet in terms of marine conservation and other wildlife initiatives. And without going through all the mechanics now, but essentially we're establishing a collection of 9,000 NFTs. Um, 50% of these of the revenues generated from this collection will go into an impact fund, um, and NFT holders will be able to kind of vote and direct upon different initiatives that are presented to that fund. You know, so that's kind of the main mechanic of our project. Now, what makes it kind of interesting and different and, and what inspires Jimmy and myself a lot is the idea of how can we like reward people? How can we make it fun to participate in charities? You know, because, you know, traditionally you would just if you wanted to make an impact and, you know, on a personal level, I'm always trying to look for a way to, to create a better environment and do something cool for the environment around me. Right. But how do we make that fun? Because traditionally you would just give to an organization, WWF, and they would take your money and do whatever with it. And there's no fun up there's no participation really you know so what we're yeah, building and establishing now is a way in which people can be rewarded um, in different ways for being part of that change and kind of gamify the experience make it a fun and engaging process in the way we present things online and on our through our infrastructure you know so that's kind of the essence of, of what we're working towards and uh, maybe jimmy wants to also elaborate a little bit on that point absolutely so um so yeah, the key thing here for us is seeing NFTs as kind of like an access pass to whatever you want, right? NFT is something that's traceable and you can prove ownership um, through a decentralized system. So it kind of opens all these doors, as you're saying, into the transition into Web3. We're kind of in Web 2.5, but ultimately you're able to use any NFT for a membership of whatever you want, right? Whether it's within the NFT crypto space or whether it's in real life, you know, it ultimately... This could lead up to, for example, your cinema ticket to be an NFT, right? And that will grant you access and verify that. So what we're building is a community around wildlife conservation, leveraging art and technology. So trying to unite creatives, you know, that are willing to explore different forms of expression in order to contribute to this. And that NFT will get you access not only into the community, the decision making, you know, educational benefits, recreational benefits, so on. 
And it's, you know, a way of incentivizing and getting people excited about this, right? Making like your support and involvement into bigger issues, uh, contributing to wildlife conservation, something that's not just a one-way stream where you send some money and that's the end of it. But we gamify the experience, we make it exciting, we make it something that, you know, you can also help drive, propose projects and, and be involved in them. So, so yeah, it's been exciting so far. So, so this is interesting. I always wonder this with NFT projects or with DAOs. You know, I understand the philosophical concept of holding a token or holding a holding holding an asset, a digital asset that gives you membership or ownership. Now, what's the next level of this when you look at like decision making and making a decision inside of one of these uh, tokenized communities or these DAOs? You know, is it just that like whoever holds a certain amount of tokens, what, you're going to give me a a Google form to fill out? How, how does the vote happen? How does the how do I voice my opinion as part of the community? Absolutely. So a lot of the NFT communities are built within Discord, a social media app. And then now there's several applications that you can integrate within Discord servers in order to verify and validate how many NFTs a certain user has in their wallet. So that's kind of the MVP, right? That's an easy way out. Ah, okay. You keep, okay. It, you keep it in Discord. That's an easy way out. You know, it, it allows it to be accessible to everyone. You make the vote happen in a place where all of your community is active in. People will connect their wallet to their to this app, kind of that verifies it. And if you have one NFT, well, that will give you one vote, right? That's the MVP. Beyond that, you can also go into a uh, kind of personalized dashboard on a computer, and you can ultimately just make a website that has a key of entry. And in in order to access a dashboard, a game, a whatever aspect of the website you want, people need to connect the wallet and needs to verify that you have the NFTs within there, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think that that's one of the, the coolest things about blockchain technology is that you have the ability to own what it is that you're participating in. And most of us come from this idea of sharing our content on social media, but never feeling like we own what we're interacting with. We always feel like we're on someone else's rented land. And this is an interesting opportunity to translate this idea of ownership across different platforms, you know, and across different types of uh, causes. This is, for example, a social cause, which you guys are doing. What will it look like practically? It's like, okay, we're going to sell. What, what, what will the numbers look like? It's like you have 9,000 unique NFTs. What's the floor? How much do you want to raise? Like, what, what, what does it look like? Paint the picture for me. Yeah, so, and you also touched on something interesting just before I answer your question, which is like the idea of, of content as well, right? And owning that. And there's a few projects now that are like tapping into uh, owning your own data, right? So doing social media apps where instead of, the app itself owning the data is kind of like your account becomes an NFT by itself, right? Or fractionalized NFTs. And therefore you now have ownership of all the data, all the metrics of that, you know, generates all, the, all of the income, you know? So it is opening a lot of doors. But, uh, but yeah, to paint you the picture, you know, a lot of NFT collections um, will, it's kind of flipping the crowdfunding. You know, you, you get crowdfunded. If people believe in your mission, if you're able to prove Kind of a proof of work before that you know and people trust that you're able to execute they're willing to give you the funding in the form of, of nfts you're then able to kind of allocate that funding to different activations that you have and for us we'll be releasing 9,000 nfts at an accessible price kind of uh, given the market conditions and then once that sells out the first thing will be developing this impact fund and then within the impact fund dashboard which will have kind of an immersive map our main goal is not only to get people excited to propose projects in which we can invest in, right? Giving the community the ability to propose projects and also to vote on them through the dashboard. But it's also the idea of being able to visualize whatever impact we're making. 
and be able to monitor that, be able to even participate through that in some sort of digital landscape, right? So when investing in a project involving permaculture in Brazil, or whether it's a you know digital art collection with Andy Thomas about the marine conservation and, and the flow of that in a visual manner, you know it's also important for us to to be able to visualize this in an impactful way because on one side you have the actual impact that you make right by whatever reforesting a forest, but then you have so many ways in which you can contribute. One of them being you know making it visible for people and getting people to talk about it, getting people to share it, right, getting people to actually realize what that impact was. What are the, I, I feel like with, when it comes to marketing, certain things are easier to market than others. And I would imagine that when you're marketing something that is healthy for an individual or a population, it's actually harder to market that. How do you effectively get people to give a shit when most of us are conditioned to not give a shit about anybody but ourselves and just buy on Amazon, watch TV, stay inside, not care about the news? How do, how do you get us to care? to make this all work? I think there's a couple of ways. Like one of them is just to actually, to communicate and have people recognize like the position we're actually in, you know? Like we've, we're, we're on a planet, we're part of a two and a half, uh, or nearly three and a half billion year process of evolution, you know? And we're at a moment where we could see that all wiped out very soon because of our impact, you know? So I think one thing is to get people connected and revitalize with the like the energy of change and wanting to be a part of that wanting to be a change maker and actually make a difference and people who are tired and frustrated with like the lack of uh, ability to like recycle plastics around them or the amount of pesticides people throw on things or the amount of plastic on the beaches the people who are like who can connect to that narrative and are frustrated i think that's a really powerful mechanism for for marketing and for people to want to come in the other side of it is actually also presenting the um, value creation of the project so it's what kind of value what kind of brands are we going to build part of that is a, a very creative orientation it's okay we're going to represent this journey through art we're working with a great artist from brazil uh, his name is jao Queiroz, um, and he, he's kind of one of the leaders in the solar punk movement um, we're also animating our character in 3d and doing a kind of sneak uh, a kind of intro trailer to our for our nft launch and this is again with a really great artist who's worked um with pixar and disney and stuff in the past you know so it's like showing that creative quality that storytelling ability that's something i think outside of the usual kind of okay we want to make a change gets people really excited and, okay i want to be part of this sort of creative thing and then lastly it's the financial return it's the reward it's like okay i see value here i see a community building i see that there's a potential reward in being able to stake my NFT. I see that there's some financial incentives in actually getting some of the return on investments that we make through the impact fund because it's not just going to be pure donation. So there's kind of all those tiers and everyone will connect to them on a slightly separate level, but we want to make them all available so people can jump into the project, you know? Okay. That, that is super, that was a super solid answer, by the way, because you really hit multiple different reasons why people would give a shit. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jimmy. That was super solid. You know, it's an interesting question what you say. It's like, you know, talking about are, are we all quite, um, are we all quite kind of selfish by nature, you know? And for instance, you with all the types of content you do, yeah, detached as well. You might be wanting to communicate to someone, you know, through your content on all the benefits surrounding, you know, being grateful, right? And there's many ways to do it. And, and being grateful will allow, you know, everyone around you to benefit or the entire, you know, society. But if you frame it in a way where people are also clearly seeing the benefits they have, by being grateful, right? All the happiness that they can get, you know? So there's a kind of similar path that we're walking here where 
naturally there's so much good that we can do through this project on the environment but we're seeing that that's kind of self-explanatory now right so the path that we're walking is also seeing we're doing this how can we show you as well how can you benefit right not not only through learning not only through a speculative investment but also you know how can you expand how can you contribute to the project right how can you help us move forward with it so kind of finding that balance between you know what are we doing as a whole and what can you get out of it as well Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, from my perspective, this really shows one of the core value drivers of Web3, which is uh, the alignment of incentives. So if you look at financial institutions, for instance, a lot of times what's good for a big financial institution is not good for an individual. What's good for an individual is not necessarily good for a financial institution. And this is more of just like talking about the way these things are set up. It's not even condemning a big financial institution. It's more or less like the way it's constructed, you know, they need people to overdraft on their account so they can collect fees. They need interest rates. They need these things to sustain in this model of the way that they have it. But the bank's incentives are the same thing as the individual's incentives and vice versa. With Web3, you can create campaigns, financial products, you know, applications, dApps, you call them, you know, where you have multiple parties and all the incentives are aligned. One of the biggest incentives is value creation, you know, or and or money, but value creation. And what I think is interesting about this project or just anything that's like a charitable cause, it's also linked to a Web3, NFT, something like this, is that if I give my money to a company that's creating an NFT and they're using that money then to do some sort of like environmentally sound cause, one, yes, I'm traded my money for feeling good, which is like the first layer of feeling good about donating. It's like everyone always, ha- you know, they have the commercials like donate, save the children, save the wildlife. Like you, you, sh- you feel good. Sometimes they send you like a little picture of the kid that you're saving or they'll send you like, you know, a postcard once a year. That's the first layer of feeling good. But what people really want is one, they want to feel like, okay, do I have a say in where this money is going? Because charities are always a black box. It's always like, fuck, you know, what, it, what am I actually contributing to? And the deeper motivation is, can I get rewarded for my contribution? And if it can be a if it can be a social status reward, awesome. So that's why they have like you know board apes and all these different types of like NFTs where there's a social reward that goes with it. I was in Miami two weeks ago and there's NFT billboards and board ape billboards all over the city. It's a real thing. They've made it into the real world. So there's value creation there and there's there's a the social recognition of a hierarchy there. But the bottom line is you can also provide someone with value creation through money. That's great as well. And if these NFTs do well, then just the, the, the circumstances could be good. So I don't know. I think it's smart. I think it's really smart because no other model really allows for the mutual alignment of incentives like Web3 does because everybody wins. If one person wins, everybody wins. And that's just not the case with traditional financial stuff. So I think it's awesome, man. I think it's cool. Yeah, and you touched on a lot of things there, right? Not not only kind of like how closely um, the creators of an NFT project interact with the community every single day, right? Where you would you wouldn't really see that on a on your conventional kind of company, right? You'd have everyone making the decisions at the top, and then you'd be lucky if you talk with you know customer service or whoever. But you have the idea of, of the closeness in those relationships, but then something imperative and what you're saying as well to have that similar agenda as well as the transparency work because that allows to have trust and that allows you to say okay yeah we've got similar you know incentives similar agenda we've got a similar direction that we want to follow and you can track whether that direction is being followed right that transparency and 
not only how decisions are made, but also how any funds are allocated, you know, how much is in a community wallet. That's things that, you know, our community will have complete access to, not only seeing at what time and, uh, you know, what amount uh, left our community wallet to go into a certain partner at any given time, but, you know, all of the fund distribution as a whole. So it's mainly, you know, kind of the closeness of relationships and transparency in the in the ecosystem, I think, that really facilitate that. And, yeah, it's really... Yeah, I, I, I think this is an interesting point, the alignment of incentives, right? And I think when we talk about, like, making change in general, like shifting the paradigm from where we've been in a kind of more hierarchical society with um, with corporations and governments, you know, having most of the cards in their hands and making decisions based on that agenda versus what is really serving the people and, you know, even the environment, you know, on, on the next layer. Um, I think, yeah, this kind of transition towards Web3 is facilitating you know the the incentives of the community the the even the ins- if, if nature had an incentive you know it can also be aligned in web3 in a sense you know it's like we can it's a it's a it's a system that can really embrace a multitude of of parties and create a win-win scenario because of this transparent system because of um, the way that decentralization can function you know and and all these kind of things so yeah I, i'm that's something that definitely draws me into blockchain and 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 kind of motivates me to learn more each day and to to like push this project forward is like wow this is a massive change mechanism you know and and you know we're all already hooked up to the internet we've all got so much digital in our lives but a lot of the mechanisms that that and that's that that's built on are still not decentralized so i'm i'm curious to see a future where you know this really is is the 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 foundation upon which institutions daily transactions our lives are are built on, you know, in so many ways. I heard you guys are building on Solana. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big Solana fan. Good. Yeah, with the environmental aspect of the project, there was no way we could go with Ethereum at the moment. Yeah, it wouldn't, it would be like an oxymoron. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it's like one step forward, two steps backwards, you know, but you still see a lot of projects going going on Solana with the environmental dialogue, which is interesting, you know, and they get away with it as well. So You mean on Ethereum? On Ethereum? Yeah. When ETH2 actually, comes out, you know, supposedly. Yeah, but it was a, it was a long decision, you know, but that's, that's also interesting seeing how one of the main, you know, you've got all these parties that are not interested or don't have an incentive, right, for all these kind of different systems. How did you choose which chain that you guys want to build on? We kind of like, we weighed up the pros and cons, <laughs> like for many days. And um, we basically did a study on like, we were looking, okay, so one of the things we we're measuring was like, okay, is it going to actually be feasible and possible with like sales volume and, you know, target audience and stuff, you know? So we were looking, obviously ETH has a massive trading volume. And at the time of conceptualizing this project in sort of late August, early September, Solana was only just coming through and emerging really as a, you know, NFT space. So it was like, okay, we were like evaluating like Solan R and SolC at the time. And like, it was, it was not much volume on it, but it was growing quick and it was really catching up to Ethereum. So we're like, okay, there's potential here. There's quite a lot of collections, you know, that are, are doing something interesting that have something beyond just being a copycat. Because at the beginning, there were so many copycats. They were just like, okay, um, um, CryptoPunks, SoulPunks. Okay, these apes, these apes, you know? And it was just like, right, man, right, this, right. Is, this, yeah, this yeah. is just, if, it, if the space continues with this, even if it's more efficient, there's no future because where's the brand value? Where's the creation, you know? So we wanted to be sure that there were projects doing something cool and interesting. And we stumbled across a few with meaningful communities, with, you know, with doing decent things. So we're like, okay, I think we can be part of this space and 
And that's kind of the main decision because the environmental decision was a no-brainer. You know, if one Ethereum transaction is it's hundreds of times more damaging to the environment, uh, especially for a large NFT collection like we were going to do and so much interaction with voting rights and all this kind of stuff, it would not have made sense yeah. on, on Ethereum. So we also investigated a few sort of like layer two solutions and that kind of stuff, but it just made the user journey so um, cumbersome, you know, like in terms of like opening a, a different wallet or using Matic or something like that. So, so yeah, that's kind of what drove our decision. We had many conversations about it over, 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 over a couple of weeks, you know, but um, yeah, Solana just kind of took us under its wing. It's interesting. Yeah. How, um, how, if you do experiment with using different chains, you can see, at least from the user perspective, the different speeds. I mean, I was using the Avalanche network and that thing is fast. You know, the, the wallet moves, moves the, uh, the token from, from one place to another quickly. And, you know, you can see with Ethereum, you can actually literally see, feel it working. It's like, okay, it takes a couple minutes to get there with Bitcoin. It might take two hours. It's just funny how you can see the speeds of different, of different chains. What do you think? is going to be the future of these these essentially these chains are being built as alternatives or or as competitors to ethereum do you think that they're going to continue to create brand value or do you think that over time it's going to just have to unify i mean they they built different chains are built with different uh fundamental protocols right that open the doors to different things and and i think there's there's pros and cons to each you know for instance i think solana is sacrificing a bit of security in order to get its efficiency through proof of history and you know perhaps its efficiency and speed opens so many doors in terms of gaming and DeFi, but perhaps that security is something given the nature of your business or your project is something that you can't sacrifice. So you're actually better off going on Ethereum or you want something to be, you know, so I think, I think there'll be room uh, for different ones to consolidate in different spaces. Yeah. And it also depends how long like it takes for ETH for the Ethereum network to kind of upgrade into its like next solution, which will make it a lot more efficient, you know, because the longer it takes, the more established other spaces become, the more established other brands become and the gravity starts to move to those platforms. And, you know, it, it, it has the chance that it might die and be left a desert, you know? Um, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I guess it depends a lot on the, on the rate at which Ethereum builds, you know? Yeah. I, I kind of see it as it will be inevitable that there will be competitors to Ethereum, just like there are, you know, a few, top brands of every consumer good, you know, of every, uh, e even in enterprise goods or B2B services, there's always, you know, the top two or three. And then there are also competitors who are further down. But if you're thinking about market share, for instance, you know, even if you have 5% of a huge market, that could be huge, depending on, you know, what your position is in that 5%. So when we're talking about, at least for me, looking at investing in different competitors to Ethereum, people are like, oh, only Ethereum. People are very bullish on Ethereum, and I am too. But I think the entire altcoin space and all the different chains will continue to do well. That's my prediction. Yeah, and no, I think we should foster that, right? All the, all the it was like Tezos, freaking Algorand, Avalanche, Solana. Don't say Cardano. Can't say Cardano. <laughs> Can't say the C you know, word. It's a curse word. Don't say the, yeah, <laughs> Can't say the C word. I think they dipped below a dollar finally, 85 cents. It's so hard to watch that. It's just, it's just like watching someone get beat up in slow motion for three years, you know, or for at least for, for a year and a half. And they, they were, you know, they were first to market in some ways, not first to market as an altcoin, but they were really seen as a strong competitor to Ethereum. And they just, 
They just totally fumbled it. Yeah. <laughs> they burned the bread. They slipped on the banana peel. <laughs> they fell in the mud. I think there's something no. healthy as well, you know, in this whole dynamic because it's like you need a you need a bit of competition. It's what it's what sparks you people do. to innovate and be you inventive. Do. So and then eventually that will you okay, you create a, a great com- competitive brand, but then the other one catches up and you're like, Oh my god, we need to do something about this, you know? So I think it's like you see it in all of nature. You know, nature is constantly competing in different areas against itself. Predators are fighting for prey you know, and, and, and prey and like herbivores are fighting for grasslands, you know? And so I think there's always, there's always an element of competition, which is kind of like, like healthy, you know, and it's, and I think it happens quite organically and naturally, you know? Yeah. You don't want to get lazy. Yeah. You got, you got to have other people to keep you on your toes. You can't have it. You, you can't always, you can't always go unchallenged. You have to have some sort of, uh, you know, threat to keep you sharp. I think Ethereum's threat is both internal and external. You know, if you think at, think about, they have to make a lot of changes to the code base in order to, you know, get to ETH2, I'm assuming. I'm not a developer, but it seems like they have a large challenge in front of them. It seems like they're going to potentially be on track to hit their deadline. I don't know what their, do, do you know what their um their projected deadline for that is or their, their milestone for ETH2 is? It's this year. Five, five, six months from now, five months from now, I think it was. Once they can go proof of stake, uh, then it will really be, then the other, it will be like, the ball will be in their court because the other, the other chains are going to have to decide, okay, what are we going to do to improve upon our model? Because if ETH is proof of stake and it's cheaper and faster, then what are the other chains going to do to differentiate? Yeah. And a lot of chains are differentiating now because of that efficiency and that, that protocol, right? So if that's lost, then what else do you have? Now Ethereum has that protocol sales volume, right? But that's kind of the beauty of this and it's all moving so quickly, right? There's, there's so much going on with Solana getting tons and tons of funding of, of you know different apps and businesses that's right that's right i think another one too this is not not even not even a, um a, a chain necessarily it's a it's an oracle but i think Chainlink is super slept on yeah yeah Chainlink. Chainlink has the most partnerships in uh in the industry right now they're just they're just racking partnerships up and they haven't really even done anything yet yeah it'll be interesting to see how it develops which one what, what what are you most excited about within the space you know uh, months to come or not maybe more like a macro level in terms of you know mass implementation within a certain aspect but i think i think right now in the next six months to a year it's really hard to tell what's going to happen in this space i mean it's just so volatile right now if you would have asked me in november i would have said something completely different than i'd say right now and um one thing i am seeing is that i think we we kind of had a misconception about how crypto in general is supposed to be a hedge against inflation. But we see that it's also tied to the markets very much. So if the markets are going down, Bitcoin's going down, generally speaking. And sometimes Bitcoin goes down a lot faster because it's a lot more volatile. So I, I'm curious to see what happens in the coming uh, coming years. I think in the short term, I think in the short term, I'm actually kind of excited for a bear market because even though it feels bad for my portfolio, I'd like to buy. So that would be great. So I'm excited about that. I think that I'm going to make a podcast on this later, but I think that the if the Russia-Ukraine situation escalates, the U.S. gets involved, that's going to drop the global market even more. And it's going to drop prices even more, Yeah, which will, which will affect Bitcoin because that's ongoing right now. And that just started. And people, I think, are panicking, FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt. So that, I think, is going to affect it. That's short-term stuff. Long-term, I think that the technology shift is inevitable. I think that crypto, blockchain, NFTs, digital assets, living online – meshes up with 
IoT, Internet of Things, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, AR, augmented reality, VR, virtual reality, quantum computing, all of it kind of merges. It has to merge at some point. I just don't know at what point we all die, you know, in pursuit of this. Because, like, it's a lot of technology. It's a lot of bad things that can happen between now and then. And it would be really cool to get to the singularity, but I don't, I might, I might not make it there with you is what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, there's an interesting thought there, which is like, kind of like we're, we're, um, we're already in it in a sense. Like, you know, if, if time is, if, if you look at time, right, if, if we're in a linear, we're in a linear conversation now moving, but in a sense, in the, in the whole information of things, right. We've already, we've actually already got there in some sense. The potential is there, you know? <laughs> yeah, we're on the conveyor belt. You know, we're just being moved towards that. And yeah, like, you know, who's to say like that we're, we are already not in an engine that is being powered by all these elements. Like who's to say that this hasn't happened and we are in the engine that is materializing reality right now out of a computer. Because we, we, we often make the assumption that we are organic. You know what I mean? But we could be digital just as much as we are organic at the base level. It's just atomic structures moving around, you know, and once AI and biology and um, the singularity does manifest, it could it could be capable if it's a singularity of creating any reality of creating something as real and organic as this, you know, so who's to say that the singularity is the most real thing and we are just a mere reflection uh, moving towards it with life, with feeling, with, with purpose, but within that, um, you know, implosion. We're close. We're close. We already have 3D printing. We have stem cells. We have virtual reality. We have augmented reality. We have crazy sensors. Most of the technology that's, con that's available to consumers is five to 10 years or more behind what's available in top medical, top military, top tech. So we're all, I mean, the technology we have right now is crazy. We're doing holograms of Tupac on stage. You know, we are, you know, we're freaking out the genetic code. We know a lot of stuff now. Um, it could be, we could already be in a simulation. You know, this is a popular theory now. We could already be in a simulation. What do you think, Jim? You think we're already in the simulation? You think we're already, you think we're already just inside of that? It, this wasn't included in your podcast question, man. I got to do a bit more planning for, for the simulation talk. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I hope not. I hope not. I think it plausibly could be, you know, but yeah, hopefully there's, there's some questions. It's like when you die and then, you know, the next thing you remember, you just wake up and you're, you take your face out of a, out of a VR mask and say, wow, that was a good one. Go again. You know, it's like, and then you think, you know, if this is some sort of uh, virtual experience or some sort of like avatar experience, why did I choose this life? Why did I choose this body? Why this face? Why these parents? You know, why? Web 3, I mean, because if we're in Web 3 now, what's Web 5 look like? <laughs> You're going too we far now. <laughs> we can't conceptualize. It's outside of our, outside of our framework at the moment. We're doing, we're doing Neuralink. Elon Musk is doing Neuralink, right? You heard about this? He wants to connect our brains to the computer. Because this keyboard right here dramatically slows down the bandwidth for me to communicate with this electronic device and this network device. But if you just connect it to my brain, don't need the fingers, this is very slow, you know? So this is an interesting thing that I've been thinking about. So basically, everything we're talking about, right, having our biological bodies more intimately connected to technology is kind of, is happening, you know? 
And yes. you know, it's, it's interesting that like, you know, if you look at social media today and a lot of the big um, sort of tech superpowers like Facebook and all these companies, right? Um, there is, a, there is, there are manipulative agendas involved in that. You know, you will be shown content oh, that yeah. will grasp you for longer and therefore make them more money. Yes. But are they thinking about your well-being? No. Are they thinking about, you know, how much time you spent in front of the screen? No. They just want more and more and more because you're a number, right? So here's a potential danger, you know, where we move into this kind of web free space. We give up. We have to, we give up a sense of our intimacy with the technology. It comes closer into us. It's coming into our receptors, you know. And what is the danger of that? You know, and then the other question is people who do give up um, that some of that and connect to it will have advantages in terms of making money, in terms of social connections, in terms of computing power, in terms of the speed they'll be able to churn out a blog. You know, like all, people will have an advantage. So there's going to be an incentive to do it. And some people will be more for taking that risk. Others won't be and, you know, choose a different pathway. So I think this is a very strong question for humanity to kind of answer on an individual level. Do, how far do we want to take that and how far do we want to be involved and how much are we prepared to give up in terms of our computing power and our influence on the world in order to, um, you know, live the life we want to. So, yeah, it's a, it's a challenging time. I mean, you know, a, a question I ask often is like, when is enough enough? You know, why do we need to continually evolve this technology in this way? I think that we... I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but I think that there's an implicit assumption that we should. People think just because we should do something that, or because we can do something that we should. And I'm not sure if every incremental technological increase has improved my life. I mean, even since I'd say, you know, 1990s, 2000s, like the internet does help your life, but you can see where there's a downside to it as well. And I wonder when that point is being reached, if we've already reached it, we can't tell yet because we're too far past or we're too close to it. But I'm just wondering where those diminishing returns happen. Because I, I don't think that being completely integrated with computers would necessarily make the human experience better. It would make a different experience, but it wouldn't be the organic human experience. You know, if you have, a, you know, a ticker going off in your head because some algorithm is connected to a machine is giving you a, no giving you a notification, that's not the same thing as the pure human experience. So it's interesting. Yeah, I think it's always this like strive to test new limits that we always have, right, in every single field, whether it's like tech or sports or business or, or human nature, right? We're always looking to like break through new limits, you know, test our boundaries, kind of break through them, be the be the novel ones, you know, and see how far we can take it. But it's hard, you know, there's so many smart people, so many different, you know, countries and companies with so many resources that it's hard to, you're always going to have that one person that wants to push it even further, right? Regardless of what the, the implications could be. But It's true. And then you have like, I don't know if you guys watch Black Mirror, but um, it's just, you know, it's, it's a great TV show and they have so many things that have come true or almost true on that show scary and within years of it coming out but which just means that the technology was already in development even these social rating systems which are seeing china uh, implement and i think blockchain will have a, a role in that because countries are making internal blockchains they're making these things called cbdc's which are central bank uh digital currencies you know central bank controlled digital currencies so it's interesting that we're seeing the use we're seeing the, the advent of nfts and crypto and and uh, this type of technology but then there's also going to be the the heavy corporate and the heavy government use of that same technology so what we thought was just going to be all about freedom and de decentralization there's also going to be a heavily centralized and heavily authoritative 
use of this technology. So that's something that we're going to be involved with, whether we like it or not. That's my opinion. Yeah, it's a tool, right? And there's so many ways to use it. But on, on a separate note, have you been following what's happening now in Canada? Yeah, I have. What are your thoughts? Wild. That is wild, you know, and you see like exactly wild. the benefits of this as well, you know, and why like, you uh-huh. know, freezing bank accounts for going to protest, regardless of your political view, right? That is wild. And imagine before, like, it is what wild. you take out a hundred grand, put it, in, you know, under your bed, <laughs> like, invest it in another country, you know? and now it's so simple. It's like a big, you know, middle finger up to the guy and you can, you know, in a couple of hours kind of, Avoid that, like completely wild. I thought that was such a blatant abuse of, or, or such a blatant show of strength from from his perspective. Like I felt like that was a, they say a bridge too far. I feel Absolutely. like to start freezing bank accounts, that's going to really piss people off. But it wasn't a show of strength, right? It was like an attempt because I was reading it. I think there's been the biggest outflow of cash from banks in Canada in like you know unprecedented times. Really. And that's, you know, the last thing you want as a president, you know, everyone taking their money out of it. <laughs> no, you don't want yeah. that. It's the less, uh, literally the last thing you want. No, please come really, back, come back, come back. <laughs> this guy really thought people were just going to stop protesting rather rather than take the money out, you know. But it's, it's just such a clear example of how these tools can just play such a key role in these times, right, where we've got all this, uh, you know, governing bodies have so much control over us now, you know, in the digital world, or at least they used to, right? And this is kind of the, the you know, population's kind of counter offer, counter, you know, weapon to say, actually, no. Don't, don't, you, don't you feel like it's weird, though? Don't you feel like, it, I know, okay, I know governments don't care. I know they don't care. I know that, you know, governments care about power, corporations care about money, neither one of them care about you. So I know that. But don't you think it's odd that like they don't even try to they're just so blatant with their abuse of the lies, the power, the corruption. They don't even try to pretend like they're doing they're, they're trying to help at this point from my perspective. And of course, people are going to get pissed off. There, I think there's a better way to do it and still accomplish their goal. If the goal is control, like in jiu-jitsu, we have a saying it's position over submission or position before submission. If someone's bucking out and going crazy and they're flipping out and going crazy, you have to like secure them first before you can make your next move. So psychologically, they have to feel like they're safe before you can start to advance again. And I feel like a lot of these governments, they're just like, they're so blatant with some of their attempts, you know, to control now that it's alarming people. And I feel like they're making these attempts at a faster rate, like everything that happened with, it's happening in America, everything's happening in Canada, people, things happening in Europe now, people are starting to get alarmed. And the governments, I think, are overreaching because they're scared. Absolutely. They're scared of, of people taking control back. Absolutely. And you realize the importance of timings, right? Because, again, something like what's happening in Canada, if that happened 10 years ago when no one knew about crypto, you know, what, what, what are your options, really? You know? are you- I think it's bullshit that, 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 that GoFundMe or Patreon or whatever froze their, froze their campaign. Like, what are, you guys, what are you guys good for? If your whole... The whole purpose of the platform is to raise money for causes. It wasn't a violent cause. It just shows that the platform can't be trusted. No. You know? And, and, and that's the whole purpose of Web3. It's trustless, meaning it doesn't require you to trust anybody to do its fucking job. Don't make a moral decision. Now I'm getting on my high horse. Don't make a moral decision about what my funds need to be used for. Bitch, just give me the money. Rihanna made a song about this. Bitch better have my money. 
it's a matter of like, what do you trust, right? Do you trust people in politics or do you trust an algorithm and math, right? And if I have to yeah. choose to see the world, I'm going for math, you know, I'm not going for... <laughs> Every day. Do you remember what happened? Were you paying attention? I don't know if it was big over in Europe, but what happened with, uh, with this company called GameStop here, AMC, which was a movie yeah. thing, a movie theater company. Yeah. And we have this thing, Robinhood, which is this investing app. And they, they stopped consumers from buying shares because Reddit got too organized and we decided to basically fuck all the big companies that were shorting these, these, these beloved brands. We started jacking up the prices. People started getting rich off GameStop and the apps shut down the trading of it. Yeah. Fuck yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> fuck off. Now, if that, if, that, if that was a DEX, a decentralized exchange, they probably couldn't have done that. Yeah. No, they couldn't. You know? Yeah. Coinbase, they could have done that. Coinbase, Some yeah. sort of like, you know, centralized exchange. Yeah. What's yeah. the deal with Solana? Are there, are there a lot of decentralized exchanges with Solana? Is it just one? What's that like? What's the swap like? Um, yeah, I mean, it's growing. I think in terms of decentralized exchanges, uh, the main pillars are still within Ethereum. You know, you've got SushiSwap, you've got Uniswap, you've got all, all of these. But, but again, they're slowly growing. It's just like, you know, NFT marketplaces. Uh, the main one that everyone knows is still uh, OpenSea and that's still on Ethereum. But, you know, it's, it's a matter of time. They do, you know, again, Solana opens a lot of doors in DeFi. So it makes sense that, you know, they're going to be used for a lot of different cases. But yeah, really. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm chain, I'm chain agnostic too. People are like getting on certain teams. Oh, team this, team that. I'm just, I just want, I want the whole space to win. You know, I want the whole space to win. Cool. Uh, all right, guys, where can we find the project? I mean, I'm going to put it in the show notes, but pimp it. Sure thing. So CryptoCoralTribe.io is a website. You've got Coral Tribe NFT on Twitter. You're going to link up the Discord link. Um, you know, we're releasing a video soon on our YouTube channel. We've got tons of Medium articles as well written by one and only christian you know showcasing our our process and everything so a lot of information out there and more importantly now you've got alpha mentorship critical tribe session which is going to be your main point of value <laughs> cool. i love it uh that's a wrap we'll call it a day go buy some nfts <laughs> i'll catch you on the other side <laughs>